on WSQF Blink Radio. I've got probably the most exciting conversation I've ever had here on Blink Radio, WSQF. 94.5, you can hear us live stream worldwide, wsqfradio.com. When Martin Luther King says he had a dream, well, guess what? This little Cuban kid from Westchester who moved to Cuba, Spain in 1975 had a dream too. And that dream was to win the Kentucky Derby. In my mind, I wanted to be a veterinarian, take care of large animal horses, and guess what? I blew it. I couldn't pass organic chemistry. Try to get my daughter to do the same. COVID hit. She didn't want to do a chemistry, and therefore she didn't become a veterinarian either. And then here I am, humdrum, you know, doing as best I can in life, you know, trying to do my best. And, you know, I was always a dreamer growing up. And then all of a sudden, Walt Disney Dream a Little Dream comes through. A key rat wins the world championship of horse racing called the Kentucky Derby. Because there's other horse races, but there's nothing like the Kentucky Derby. So I have with me Mr. Maggie himself, Ramiro Restrepo. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for having me. That was an awesome intro. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yes, it's uh, it's beyond comprehension because we have mutual friends. Right. So we have similar upbringings. I'm a bit older than you, unfortunately. And uh, I just can't believe it that I know my whole life has actually got meaning now because <laughs> dreams can happen for a person like Keep Scanning, raised like me. I believe you said you were the class of the K-8 Center. I'm the class of 77. Uh, you remember, I remember you saying you were the class of, I don't know, what year? The year you graduated from the K-8 Center. So we ate the same damn lunch food. And you found a horse that, quite frankly, was uh, your wisdom because you saw something and there's nothing more in, brilliant in my life that people don't really understand this about someone like yourself. That there's, a, there's a, implicit knowledge that people have that, you know, they go through Harvard and Yale. But then there's the most important knowledge, and that's tacit knowledge. And tacit knowledge you can't explain. I believe I have it at times, but damn, you have it, man. So tell us how you, I mean, I know a little bit about your history in terms of you went to private school. Uh, you were in the nightclub business. You had partners. Uh, you you were successful at that. But you always had this smell for horse manure, horse feed, and horsing because of a family trade. So take it over, man. <laughs> well, first of all, again, thank you for having me. This is really, really cool. Um, nothing better than to be, you know, back home on Key Biscayne, which is, you know, really where kind of put the first seeds of life in me. Um Went to Key Biscayne Elementary, like you mentioned. Went to St. Agnes Academy. And then after that, uh, went to Columbus High School. Yeah. And then the University of Miami. So. On top of that, he's a cane. Can you freaking believe it? Yeah, yeah. cane through and through. But, um, I, I, you know, when we moved here to the Key, we've lived in Grape Tree. We lived in Key Colony. We lived on West Heather Drive. We lived on uh, Sunrise and East Enid and 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 um, Galen. So, that is beyond cool. So it's a it's a true amazing childhood that we had here. You know, riding bicycles all over town, skateboarding and scurfing uh, after the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, man. So the Keys has uh, been a, such a special place, and still so many great friendships uh, that were forged as kids, and we're still super tight to this day. I did move out up the Key a few years ago. I'm in Brickle now, but... Uh, no, you'll be back. But It yeah. happens to all of you. Yeah. You guys leave for a little bit and then come back. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back. Eventually. It's like a magnet, you know? For sure. But. That's incredible. So knowing that this 
this horse trait is in your bloodline, in your right. family, and I believe you're, uh, you have an aunt, you have a dad in horses, you, you kind of grew up around horses. I'm getting it simply from watching you walk the walk the damn racetrack during the Kentucky Derby. There was some uh, talk about that. You probably didn't hear it because you were there live, but that's what they were saying on the TV, that you have a... Yeah, right. family so, heritage. So my my family actually, you know, you have two sides, right? My father's side, their background is tennis, actually. My uncle played Davis Cup. I have a cousin who played college in Mississippi. Um, myself, I played junior tennis. My brother played junior tennis. We've been in some pretty big tournaments at the Orange Bowl growing up as kids. So tennis was a big part of our life, you know, especially training here, not only at the... Um, at the at the well, we caught the Lipton, but call it the, the Lipton because that's really at, what at it the is. Tennis center there <laughs> yeah. with Robert Gomez, but we also trained with Pablo Araya, who was a pretty big. Yes, he he did a show here for a long time. That's awesome. It was called uh, uh, Fuzzy Balls. Was the name of the radio show at the, <laughs> uh, at the Links. He was our coach there, so definitely there's always been. Um, the tennis aspect and the, the athleticism and the sporting side. From, so the competitive from, edge is there. Is there now? My mother's side of the family. That's where. Uh, I'm a fifth. I would be the fifth generation of that side of the family, involved in horse racing in one aspect or another. Uh, they were in, uh, from uh, Cali, Colombia, and they moved here in the late '60s. Now, coming over in the late '60s, as opposed to twenty, you know, twenty or twenty ten, the world is a different climate. Even you know, the ability to speak the language and understand the culture wasn't as accepting wasn't as accepting uh, then as it is now. You know. Um, but they, still, but still, horses, man. Horses in your nature, sure. But they had to reset their lives, you know. Yeah. While over there, they were in a, in, a, in a more of a prominent position as you know uh, breeders and and horse owners and and actually and riders. Here, they had to start hit the reset button, start from scratch. So, hey, man, I'm from Cu- I'm from Cuban you, parents, Cuban you, immigrants, man. You, you totally I was born here. And yeah, I know what it's like. So, my mother was the youngest of the seven. She was twelve or thirteen when she got here, uh, but they they moved to the north. You know, my mother got to from Boston. They went to New York, um, so my mother was able to you know do high school and college here in America. Even my father came at seventeen, so they both met in college, and she's the one that got him into horse racing. So, I was fortunate that I grew up in a family of horse owners. Mm-hmm. So, following seeing my mother, we had you know thirty, forty horses through the eighties and nineties, and I got to experience that. While my uncles, my two uncles, and my grandfather. In the late sixties, had to hit the reset button and start like at, you know, the most um, humble of- humble of positions. So they were hot walkers and grooms, building their way to foremans, to assistant trainers, and then finally being able to open up their own. But at the same time, you get to know the horse better when you start well, from the beginning. In the beginning, it's not that they didn't do that back then. Yeah. It's just that they had to reset it and start all over again here, just to kind of put their foot in the door and yeah. And uh, and you're watching this, or you're just no, no, a little I wasn't, kid. Around, I wasn't around for okay. for that. By the time you know, I was born in '78, and, and they came ten years prior to me being born. So okay, uh, I missed. So that. it's just stories that it's, uh, just stories it's like that, me hearing stories from Cuba that I don't really know what the hell's going right. on. Right, they were here in New York and they were doing their thing, and you know, for those ten years, I wasn't you know really conscious of what was going on. But did you ever have that that knack that you wanted to do this, or you, no? no? You well, just wanted to compete in tennis, and no. When I was like from the earliest time that I feel that I that I was conscious enough to you know watch and and and, and observe things. I was always around the barn because by the time I was three, four, five years old, my mother had gotten my dad into ownership. So we had a, a barn full of horses. So I would go to the track in New York to watch them 
train and race and then i'd get to spend time with my uncles and my grandfather so as i went through uh middle school we would go the summers we'd go up to new york to saratoga and basically like the negotiation was while my mother did want me to go work in a hands-on approach like to be a, a trainer per se or or a rider which i'm too big for anyway but anything of that nature she would let me go kind of work at the barns for a couple of weeks in the summer so sure. i got to, i got to really be exposed around some nice horses at a really nice racetrack in new york since at a really young Fam- age famous track saratoga. super famous track it's actually saratoga racetrack is the oldest sporting venue of any sport oh, in the united sport. states that's still in operation to this day so that's a really cool cathedral uh, of, of of sports up there but at the same time, rather than watching cartoons or you know reading comic books, I would watch horse races, and I'd read the Horse Racing Almanac, I'd read the Daily Racing Forum, I'd read Blood Horse Magazine, Thoroughbred Times, which were all publications like Sports Illustrated. Yes, and I would watch these things and read these, things, and I learned to read, reading through this through con- this yeah. rather than in school. You know, I learned first by reading you know jockeys' names and horse names, so how kids can remember. You know, maybe for myself, like Yankees with like Reggie Jackson yeah. and, and or the Hurricanes in 83 with Schellenberger, or I might have been too young to remember that. I was watching horse races. So I may be 44 now, but my mind re- is like if I'm 60, because I remember all these races and was exposed to. What's really incredible is that not only following the sport the way you did in that manner, yeah, but the animal can't really speak to you. You know what I mean? The kid, you just got to see him in his eyes. His body temperature, his gallop, his gant, uh, how he patrol, how he deals with noises, how he deals with people. And, you know, you, with Reggie Jackson, you just ask him, hey, do you feel like hitting four home runs today? And he says, yeah, I'm going to hit four home runs. And then he does it. Same with the Babe. Remember when the Babe Ruth story <laughs> is? He points to the, 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 I think it was the right field fence, and he, said, he smacked it right over there. But with the horse, you just don't know, man. You just got to love it. To look in their eyes and see how much they got it, you know. I mean, I, I've been around horses, but only just to look at them and uh, sit on them, you know. And I had a godfather who took me out to Homestead. He was my godfather. It wasn't much of anything else. So I kind of like, pushed him up on me. I mean, I had to go out there, and he had to please his wife. So we, I told you they were Appaloosas, right? But I must admit that I had that bug you know, that smell of horse, the hell smell of the feed, the smell of the horse manure, uh, just the noises, the noises of the horse, the, the, of the horseshoe, the, the barn opening, closing. Man, I was your age. And yet I wanted to, I wanted to win the Kentucky Derby. And, uh, man, uh, you know, you're here, you're sitting in front of me with the same freaking upbringing and you win the Kentucky Derby. It's, just, it's the beyond, beyond cool as hell. I mean, I'm not even supposed to cuss here, but I'm saying this is cool as shit. And I'm just going to say it on the air. You know what the hell? This is cool as shit. You're beyond cool as shit. So what actually, what is the inkling? Because you went into other businesses. Then you, when did you think it was, this is your chance? I'm going for it. Was it the finding of the horse or you already had been selling no, yeah. horses? Because It's just, you know, horse racing never left my side. Uh, as I kept on playing tennis, uh, we would still have horses that belonged to the family, so we'd watch the, the races. We moved down here in 85 when I was in second grade. So I, I, I started Key Biscayne Elementary in the second grade here with Miss Patrick. And horse racing was still a daily part of our lives. 
So even though I was, you know, going to school here, uh, it wasn't until 88 where Florida passed a law that they allowed children to attend the races. Yeah, because of the gambling. Because of the gambling. Before then, we would just park the car on the first turn, like let's say at Hialeah Park, and I was able to, instead of how, you know how kids these days, I see parents give the kids an iPad or an iPhone with a, with a cartoon or a movie on it, and they just sit there staring. Become dumb, dumber and dumber. <laughs> I would sit on the hood of the car and just watch races. That was my iPad, the horses. So, you know how like a, a little kid can learn multiple sports, multiple languages, their brain absorbs things at a much accelerated level than trying to learn multiple languages now when you're older? Being exposed to racing, to being around uncles and my grandfather where there's that familial love and connection, you as a child, that influence of a beautiful animal, it competing having the competitive genes in you and at the same time it taking you closer to your relatives like uncles and grandparents and them taking you to work and letting you be a part of this much greater thing just are all ingredients that are being put in a, in a cook pot of love, of attention, of interest. And then the more that you pay attention to it, the more it just starts absorbing into your into yourself the love of the game, the history of the game, the comp- competitive nature of the uh, of it, and all those ingredients. Watching family members, my parents, you know, competed in it as owners. So all those things never let it leave my side. When we got out of the business, my mother got out of the business. My parents split up uh, when I graduated high school uh, in '96. My uncles though remained in racing. So again, it still never left my side. I was still a Captain Super fan. I would go, you know, to the Belmont Stakes. I would go to the Preakness. I went to a couple of Kentucky Derbies. I would go to the Breeders' Cups. Like I was even working in nightlife, uh, working in in the beverage industry that I that I was in, marketing the beverage industry that I was in. I would still go to the to the races. I'd still go to Gulfstream. I'd still go to Calder. We'd still go to Hialeah Park. It, it just never left my side. As a super fan, as a psycho fan, you know, and then I'd obviously see my uncles on a very small scale still dedicate their entire lives and my grandfather dedicate so that, their lives now, to would it. Would they race a horse? I imagine there's a circuit for four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. Right. There's a, there, the, 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 the racetrack itself is open to all divisions year, you know, year-round based on what dates they're open. And uh, Yeah, they're, they're by government controls the dates, right? The dates, yeah. So there could be, you know, back here in Florida, there used to be three racetracks, so they would split their time going from racetrack to racetrack. Now, each racetrack will release a calendar, a schedule, and in that schedule will have all the different races for all the different divisions, distances, you know, the sex, the age brackets, all the demographics that are in horse racing, sprint, middle distance, long distance. Yeah, it's a man. you got to kept you got to remember all that stuff. It's got to be in your nature. Yeah, I mean, it definitely becomes learned, and then, you know... Obviously, the more you're around it, the more it just becomes reflex and second nature for sure. But uh, so you know, very young when the when it's when there's a young one year old colt, you know if he's long distance, short distance, if he's grass. By, if he's by turf. the t- by the time they're two, is when you start having an idea of what, first and foremost their talent level. You'll start getting an ability a, a read on their ability. You start getting a read on their intelligence on how quickly they're learning things because they're you know as from as a one year old you're like in elementary school. When you start competing at two you're like in high school. When you start competing at three you're like in college. And then from four, five, and six years old now you're 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 a, you're a true adult professional. And is funny, it just as profitable that late in his career yeah, as it, the showboating of the three year olds? 
It is actually the races that are the most the most expensive races, not only in the United States but across the world, are all for four year olds and up. It's just the prestige yes, the and three. the difficulty of asking a horse to win three races in six weeks, the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont, and the Triple Crown, that allure, that tradition, those races that have been around for almost 150 years, everybody wanting to win that. Yeah, you're 149. (laughs) I'll be be 149 forever. Those things is what makes that such a mystical, you know, untouchable holy grail that so many people chase. You're asking horses to go to run more often and to run longer distances than they'll probably ever be asked to do so again in a time in a short time frame that they'll never be asked to yeah, do again. Yeah, which makes it even more incredibly which makes unbelievable. It even more difficult to, yes. to, to accomplish. So back to my time on Key Biscayne, I met Carlos Arias, who's another fellow key rat. Him and I started working in nightlife together and we embarked on our 14-year... I, I continued for 14 years. Carlos did it for six, seven, eight years before he left uh, to move to California. But I stayed in nightlife, moved on to beverage. In 2007, 2008, I bought my first racehorse. My parents had been out of the business for you know eight, nine years at the time, uh, maybe 10 years at the time. And my uncles, one uncle, he called me up and he said, listen, grass season is over in New York. It's winter. It was December of 07. He goes, and there's a grass horse here who obviously can't run in New York this winter because there's no grass racing. But the the guy, he's struggling to pay his bills. I think there might be some talent here. We could buy this filly for $5,000. She's been running for 40000 but he needs the, the cash. And for five grand. And get out from all the, the, the fee, the, 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 yeah, the, the maintenance, bills. the bills. And he goes, and I'll take her down to Florida and we'll run her there. So in her second race for me ever in Tampa, in a maiden 50, so she, we were evaluating her at 50,000, even though I bought her for 5,000, she had been running for 40,000, 50,000 in New York, and she ran maiden 50 at Tampa, and she won at 18 to 1 odds in my, her second race for me. And right there, boom, I was hooked for life. Like if I wasn't already converted, the vampire stuck its fangs in me, and I was like, you know, I have to do this, so... Probably another... Now, yeah. from the audience standpoint, just for the, the mathematics part of it, when you say it runs for 40000 even though you bought it for five, what really does that mean? Because I'm kind of... Sure. So, there are horses that can run... There, there are many different kinds of races that you can enter a horse in. There's the really famous ones that you see on TV, like the Kentucky Derby or the Triple Crown races, or maybe if you, if you watch horses in a little more like the Breeders' Cup races. Those are what we yeah, call. Yeah, I I have that I have that cable channel Keelan, yeah. and it's just all day. <laughs> just so, sit there watching. Just sit there like that. I watch. So those are called stakes races, and okay. stakes races have an, an attached um, an attached category, um, an attached. Not a financial value, but they have an attached assignment of value of importance. We would call those grade one races. Then okay. there's grade two races and grade three races, which are stakes races. Those are like the, the races that you that you really aimed and dreamed to run in. You know, probably three percent of all horses of the horse population belongs in that category of a race, in the graded stakes race. Then you have black type races and non black type races, which are just stakes races nonetheless, just to keep the explanation simple. And that's what you really 
will uh, aspire to have a nice. When you say you have a nice horse that's running in some high quality, but you have races, to earn to get into a stakes race based uh, on other 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 victories. Sometimes or? yes, sometimes by just uh, applying an entry fee. But you know, there's no sense in running a Hyundai against Ferraris when mm. you know you don't belong there. So you know, there uh, a lot of those stakes races that you, plus you lose your own credibility among the peers by doing that. Sure, right. yeah, you you know better. Like, well, sometimes you're you're. you're your balls to the wall. You put them in there, and you win. And everybody's like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> once in a, that once, doesn't happen too much. Once in Haley's Comet, something <laughs> like that can happen, sure. But and then below that, there's just races that you're running for prize money, which are called allowance races. And then there's probably the most entry level of racing is called a claiming race. So you're answering your horse, and essentially you're answering it with a price tag attached to it. So someone can actually take that horse away from you, that race. They'll submit a, a claim form 50 minutes before the race and deposit the money into the horseman's account to claim the horse for the dollar amount that you're assigning. Your, that's the 40000 that, that you're assigning your horse to. That's the, that's the uh, Now, not only does that assign a dollar amount as to what you think your horse is worth, but at the same time, it also dictates the level of competition that you'll be running in. So if there's a claiming $10,000 race and a claiming $50,000 race, $50,000 race, you know that the horses that are running for fifty are more competitive and have more ability than the ones that are running for ten. And you can move in, you can move your horse up and down that proverbial price ladder. Knowing that you can lose a horse if someone that wins. you can lose your horse at the time, you'll still win a prize money, but and, but you'll also get paid for the person that Will bought Will someone claim a horse that came in second? or the, the horse Because you're claiming it before the race starts. Oh, before. So it's regardless of, See, of, know what, that. of what it finishes. It's called, you're just buyer, buyer buys. Tacit knowledge, baby. Tacit knowledge. As is. So I was running, I started, you know, doing that racing in 08 in the lower levels of racing i was buying horses for three thousand four thousand five thousand ten thousand dollars twelve thousand five hundred dollars and running in circuits that were uh, smaller racetracks like tampa bay downs finger lakes racetrack in upstate new york thistledown in ohio uh, just running in, in in smaller circuits at a lower price point but the common thread was that i would win and i would and i would win frequently and i was identifying talent albeit at a lower level, but winning talent. Wow. You know, not everyone can always be the greatest at the highest levels of sports. But if you're, but if you find a racehorse's talent ability at whatever level he's at, you could be like the MVP of single A ball, or the MVP of double A ball, or the MVP of triple A ball. As well said, yes. Or if you're blessed, you get you know the Hall of Fame baseball player. You know, so it just depends on. What you're able, where you're able to start, and where you're able to to grow, and I cut my teeth from 2008 to 2015 on a lower level circuit, but having success, and that gave me the confidence and gave peers, and friends, and coworkers, and family members the confidence that in 2015, when I was given the opportunity to buy horses of a little higher quality, I started buying horses for. You know, thirty-three thousand, then seventy-five thousand, then eighty-five thousand. That's very accomplished stuff. And when I started buying those, they could run too. So the common thread throughout my horse racing career is that, regardless of what I was buying, we they, were they making were winning. noise. They were they were performing once we found their 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 their, their talent. So they would uh, these investors would keep on reinvesting with would me. keep on would keep on going. My big big break and what kind of really let me know that I could kind of operate 
for real on the so in 2015 I decided to forgo all these other part-time activities. It well, I was doing horse racing on the side, but I was working in beverage, working in nightlife, and all. You were just and I was sleepless like, I'm done nights. I'm like, I'm done. And in Miami too. And in Miami, <laughs> which is great. Listen, I uh, I met some amazing people, some super successful people that to this day are pioneers and 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 the head of our hospitality industry. Uh, to this day, not only in Miami but in New York, in Vegas, in LA. Excuse me. Now they're now they're expanding to other markets. I put, I put your water in there, by oh, the way. Thank you. Uh, it's yours. Um, and, and and that is a that that was that was an amazing time in my life. It it helped mold me as a person. It helped. Uh, Come on, go straight to the chicks. It's the chicks. Well, that too, because <laughs> you, learn, you learn how to talk to girls. Yeah. You know, but you learn you, you really learn how to you know manage personalities yes. and 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 meet people and you know your social thermometer. Uh, no, who's running game? It's, and, it's quite sensitive. Yeah. So uh, that was an amazing time in my life, and I don't regret a single day that I was in, in that. Plus, in that, it gave you space. seed capital to buy horses. Too, sure, right? no, it, it was unbelievable. But I left that world in 2015 and went full time into horses. My big break came in 2018, where myself and 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 a, and a group that I put together, we bought a horse for 160 thousand dollars, and six months later, I flipped them into another sale. We developed them. Um, I didn't train him, but I chose the trainer, and we we flipped him for eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars in six months, and then in March of twenty nineteen, and then by November of twenty nineteen, he was crowned the world champion two year old Breeders Cup turf winner. Wow! And that right there, wait, 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 that, that that deserves here on Blink Radio. We do these are standing ovations. Ah. Damn. Yeah. That is really cool, man. And what's even more amazing was that in 2020, by the time he had retired, I actually got a call from the owner, and I was asked if I could sell him as a stallion. So I sold him to Japan as a stallion, and that gave me further credibility of being able to create international business. So Now, when you, go for, when you take that leap, stallion is for stud rights? For stud rights, right. One lump sum, and a Japanese farm bottom, and... He would in turn now become a stallion covering, you know, several hundred uh, female horses to breed to them. And he gets laid. He gets laid that much. That much. Oh yeah. Damn. (laughs) And the mares are selective to be mating with him, right? They have to have a gene pool. Yeah, that's all. That's all handled by the Japanese farm, and 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 they have their own um, requirements. And yeah, and and, they're apparently. Something that I heard in, uh, at, uh, in during the Derby was a Japanese for the first time in in their in their, in their history. Yeah. They actually made their forays into the United States and making themselves known. Very much with so. syndication and big money. And look, the, the Japanese are, are one of the, the global powers in our in our sport. They've gone all over the Middle East, all over Europe, and have won some super important races. And they're they're really a country that you take off your cap and you know are really impressed with the way they've in short time because they know, have yeah, the yeah. they have the culture and they have the, the emotional uh, intelligence and uh, to know the elegance of the sport. No, they've done they done a magnificent job. Um, so you maintain those so relationships. Those are also a pool of investors, obviously. No, it, look, it, it, it was such a it was such a breakthrough moment for me on many levels, uh, professionally, personally, gave me confidence. Professionally, it opened up a lot of doors, and it um, it's what led to in 2020. Um, I was at a at a horse sale with where where I, I already had known him. We had a very friendly relationship, but in in uh, in 2020, I sat down with Gustavo Delgado, a senior. 
who was a Hall of Fame trainer in Venezuela. Um, he had been in America for several years. And we kind of were having lunch, just chatting. And he had had some success in America up to that point and didn't really feel that he was getting the kind of support that he was hoping for with those results. He wasn't attracting new clientele uh, from from you know American uh, where they hand you a Native horse American. and you put them to your stable and you train. Yeah, like there wasn't enough Mickey Arisons calling him to be uh, to be their Spolstra, you right. know. So, and at the same time, myself, I wanted the ability to be able to be Pat Riley and 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 draft some more players, buy some more horses, and have more opportunities. And I I wanted to increase my profile as well. So we actually came to an agreement. Uh, at that at that first sale in, in in September of 2020, to start working together, we created an alliance, a partnership, uh, where we would go out there, attend all these combines, you know these yeah. these camps for for horses that are for sale, and we'd we'd buy them as a team, and then if we needed to bring in some uh, outside partners to come to round out the purchases. You know, I would, I would have that, that famous uh, syndication. Syndication. Yeah, we'd we'd put together some a, a team together, and we started. Now, doing a team that. could be hundreds, or it could be uh, a handful. To be honest with you, we try to keep uh, our partnership groups on one hand, like you know, no more than five per horse, because that way things are quite manageable. Everybody and has the opinions the, aren't so the, high. Because someone the, who puts fifty grand might have a fifty million dollar opinion, and you don't want that because that's crazy. Right, but I wish we I wish we had someone that gave the fifty million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of, <laughs> of course. course. We don't, yeah, that, we don't uh, have that. Yet. We see that now in golf. <laughs> how, how Liv just bought the PGA. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's really exciting, man. That because uh, I see other people in photographs with you, and I have to think. You know, they're they're the syndicators, or there are there guys that just specialize in the financing of the purchase. Or is it all chemistry between you and the guys, and you just know they put up the money? Because you really don't have time to waste. You can't convince someone to invest. He's got to be all in, and you're picking the horse, and that horse is 10 minutes away. you got to put up the dough. So, so you have already a pool of money before you even put your eyes on a horse, correct? Yeah. Like when when uh, when we started buying horses, not only domestically but, in, but internationally, before the sale begins... Well, you have an idea of what your salary cap is, you know, what budget you'll be dealing with and kind of what the objective is going to be heading into that. And there are always auctions or sometimes no, owner there, to owner? There, there are set auctions held by different uh, sales companies, not only across the United States, for different age brackets. It's, it's a constant carnival of sales year-round, yeah. but also internationally as well. England has their own racing association and their own... Is that why you were uh, at some palace the other day on Instagram? I've been, Remember, I'm your fan now. Sure, no. So I'm following I, you around. I go, what I, the I, hell? I've been very fortunate that uh, I do business in 12 countries, so I've been able to travel to attend many different sales and many different racetracks, watch many important races, and have clients that ask me for my services to be their Pat Riley, to be their curator, which is what you've always wanted, which and you've earned your stripes. No, it's 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 been an amazing ride, and and um, the doors keep opening, and opportunity keep presenting itself, and I just am trying to take full advantage of of all the blessings that have been bestowed upon us. But you know the uh, it all started with sitting on the hood of the car. Man. It all started <laughs> with sitting on the hood of the red Volvo. Um, for for. The, the the situation of Mage, the the colt that won the Kentucky Derby, that particular instance was pretty funny because um, 
We attended. I attended a sale in May. Now, Mages, I thought was Magi, a magician. Uh, yeah, like in English, magic man. Uh, yeah, a mage is a magician. A, a magician. Yeah. Magician. In, in the reason why I named him Mage is because his father's name is Good Magic. His mother's name is Puka, which is which in Gaelic is an Irish witch. Oh, and then his yeah. and then his uh, his maternal excuse me his paternal grandmother is Glinda the Good, which is the good witch in the Wizard of Oz. Holy so I moly. saw I saw all this, you know the 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 whole theme amongst his names, you know his family names. So I just felt Mage was a, a great fit uh, to the to the to the lineage. Yeah, but uh, when it comes to forging partnerships and and how that works when you attend a sale. In this particular instance, we were. I, w- I went to the sale. There was eight hundred horses for sale. I did a preliminary run through, looking at you know the all the video, all the things that are open to you. This for, is before, during, or before while you're the there. Sale. While I'm there. Okay, but like a day before, or several, literally with a laptop going. No, no, no. Several days before the sale, you have about a. week. That's a lot of work. Man. You have a lot about a, a week to review. Well, when there's an NFL combine, and yeah. you have. My co- the co- coach Mike for the Finns there with the GM and everybody. There's a full team that's looking over all these prospects. They know the best quarterbacks, running backs, yeah. receivers, tight ends, old linemen. You know they have their prospects graded. They have footage. They run them through a combine. The same thing applies in our sales. You know, sometimes it might not be as as physical as an NFL combine. Yeah, but you don't get to talk to the damn the, but, the talent. You can talk, but to. you spend time with them. You get to inspect them. You look at them. You watch their behavior, you watch them walk, you watch them run in front of you. So you're looking at a lot of things that are l- learned over time yes. of you being around the horse. But that X factor, that... A tacit knowledge, man. That's what th- blows that, me away. That one thing that separates you from being a bad agent to a good agent to a great agent, or to an identifier of talent, per se, rather than using the word agent, that sixth sense, that's an accumulation of that innate ability that you might have, that connection that you have, that feel that you have. And people who work with animals, dog trainers, um, anyone who trains uh, with with wild animals. Uh, yeah, you're the, you're, the hor- a, you're the horse whisperer. There's a connection there that you have with them where you understand, you, they may not speak your language, but there is a connection with them that you can feel them, that you can... Uh, pick up on things about their personality. Um, there are traits that you might look for in them that give you that feeling as well, like physical traits that they might have that might give you that feeling. So we go through our process of trying to filter down what prospects might be available for us to purchase within our price point. You know, uh, because I don't necessarily have first-round draft pick budgets, there's a lot of horses that I know that might look incredible and having incredible bloodlines, but they're going to sell for money that I don't have. So I really don't spend too much time kind of focusing on that. Uh, I've had a lot of success in this business buying the first available... You stay in your lane. Yeah, sons and daughters of a stallion that I feel has had success on the racetrack, but these are the first offerings that he's going to be able... That It's the first time that the sons and daughters of X particular stallion are about to go to market. There, uh, the, the 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 con is that there might not be any history as to the knowledge if his sons and daughters can actually run on the racetrack because there's nothing to go on. It's the first time that his sons or daughters are going to be 
up for sale. That's so far uh, at this point, they've only eaten, shitten, and walked. Correct. And maybe galloped around, but that's about it. But they've never competed. Damn. But at the same time, I know that a first year stallion is going to get the best support from the breeding farm where he's at because everybody wants to give him the best chance to succeed right out the box, you know. So he's going to get the most number of opportunities at stud. He'll be able to breed to probably the biggest book of mares, of quantity of, of female how horses. Do they, how do they judge a mare, her ability to have obviously healthy, uh, normal pregnancies, or is it something else? No, you judge them on their looks, and you judge them on their resume, either as mothers, where you can see how their babies have performed, or by how their baby, if they haven't run yet, how their babies have been sold, a.k.a. how well-received her children were at auction, so you might see how expensive his sip, her, sip, her, her, children. her children might be, or her record as a, when she was a runner, how the mother was as a racehorse. So those factors... Is it always that way, that she raced at one time, or could she just produce she, beautiful... Maybe, maybe she never ran. Wow, incredible. But she's producing beautiful babies. Maybe her brothers ran. Maybe her uncles ran. Maybe her grandfather ran. Maybe her father ran. So this is where... Now, here's a good question for you. This is where AI is going to take off. If you can get AI to simulate all this information for you, what's what's AI going to do to this business? Because, man, you're retaining a lot of stuff. You guys have it like a gene pool? Well, here's the thing. Or is it still the eye contact with the animal? Well, one... Reproduction is still natural. There's no, there's no artificial insemination when it comes to the breeding part. As far as analyzing races, because of law or because it's because just, of our law, wow. our law is still natural breeding. We do not allow artificial. So you parade the mayor around the stallion and you get him excited and and there's intercourse and boom and they have it. But now, wow. as far as AI when it comes to the evaluation of a horse on paper, the thing is is that. You will never be able to replicate what human opinion is. You can tell me that there was a horse that ran the Kentucky Derby, like let's say Mage, this year. And if you compare him to a winner of the Derby from three years ago, on paper, AI is going to say they both won the Kentucky Derby. But if, if three years from now, you look at who they race against... Now it becomes subjective who beat the better field, who looked better doing it. Um, it becomes a, the human element of expertise to say, I believe this was better than the other. I believe this edition was stronger than the other. I believe that he got lucky to win that race because of certain scenarios that happened about, in the race. How about winning like you did when you beat two Phillies? Is that uh, in the culture where you... Where was that? When you when you beat Angel and no, those are boys. Those were all boys. Okay, so Empire and Angel were Angel of Empire was a boy, and Two Fills was a boy as well. That this year's Kentucky Derby was all boys. All boys. Yeah, there was no girls and, in this year's race. Wow, and yeah. uh, none of them, not even scratched, or were there girls? No, there scratched? was there was no girls entered in this edition. It's, wow, it's been I believe since uh, let's see, Rachel Alexandra in about twenty, I don't know, thirteen or something like this. She won the Preakness. She was a girl that won that race, and the last Derby winner that was a girl was in nineteen eighty-eight, which was a winning colors. I can't even recall a filly running against the boys like Devil May Care. I think she was like seventh against the boys. That might have been in in the. So early it's really 2010s. hard for the female to beat. Yeah, the boys. it's only been three females that have won the Kentucky Derby ever. <sighs> 
it, it's not something that's because there's a there's a female derby the day before called the Kentucky Oaks at the same racetrack the same weekend. So same distance. They already have uh, it's a uh, 200 meters shorter, but nonetheless, it's a um, it's a very important race for for, for for female. Now these because of what you said, they could become mares later, yeah. breeding. Uh, Hero uh, champions, good racers. So you want the females to win just as well, so that people like you, obviously, are interested in their in their and children. In their children, yeah, unbelievable. Or you're, you're or you're out there looking for this for the daughters or sisters of successful male horses. So even though the sister or the aunt or the female cousin didn't run at all or didn't run maybe that great, but it's in her genes that she's carrying share genes with a great horse so she might have some value as well but all those factors that goes into our evaluation process but you guys have it in software you see no you the you see family trees the catalogs are all in the, the the family trees and the resumes are all in the in the book and the books that's, are that's given to you which describes the horses that are up for sale so once oh, you really? go through these resumes and you figure out what you think might fall into your price point range. Then you actually go and do the physical inspection where you're watching them, you know, run like a 40-yard dash, like a 200 or 400 or 600-meter dash where they're just doing it against the clock. Yes. Then you watch them. They'll be paraded in front of you several times. You can visit them several times a day at different hours of the day and kind of observe things about them. And then there's like the learned aspect where you're looking at certain angles of their Body structure and physical confirmation, and 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 how they look and how they move and how they how they stand in front of you and you know in your eyes you're saying well how do they look standing how do they look walking how would that walk translate into jogging how does that jogging translate into galloping how does that galloping translate into the racing gait and how much does the adrenaline not want another horse next to them pass them you know there's some horses that don't like to be passed 100 <laughs> percent, and, and i tell you that's probably the hardest thing to find heart fire competitiveness determination those are the x factors that it's very difficult for someone to be able to not only difficult in many cases impossible because there's no quantitative method to say this one had that that x factor but if you're around horses enough you start developing that sixth sense that you feel a certain presence about a horse, a certain class about a horse, a certain aura about a horse that might lend you towards saying, I think there might be something special here. And that's how it got to Mage. Out of the 800 horses, the horse that, that Gustavo Delgado Jr., who's senior son, he's uh, 32 years old. Yeah, I remember he, him being interviewed. He's, uh, an, uh, he was obviously one of the owners, and at the same time, he's the assistant head coach. Um, him and I work together in tandem. The way that we like to work it is, I'll go since I've since this is my full time job, and Gustavo is still a head co- assistant head coach. He's got his job over at the barn with the horses. I'll go and I'll I'll I'll, I'll go to the sale and I'll review the. So first you travel, you get on the plane, you get go. on the plane, and we go. I'll look at the first draft of horses, like whatever it is, five hundred, eight hundred, a thousand, two thousand, whatever it may be, whatever's up for sale. And I will narrow it down. I try to narrow it down, you know, to something. It depends, obviously, on the sale. But, like, let's say in this 800-horse sale, I try to narrow it down to about 50 horses, 75 horses. And in your price point. That we're hopeful that it's in our price point. You're hopeful. 
And Why do you say hopeful? Because they don't tell you right. I thought it was in the book. It's, it's not- an auction. Oh, so it, <laughs> so it just depends on what, what's human desire, you know? Like, yeah, how packed I, it is. I, and- I may evaluate a horse to be, let's say, $50,000. But the thing is that there could be another team that also evaluates it to be $50,000. So if we both, the horse gets into the auction ring and he bids 45000 and I bid 50000 now it becomes a matter of does this guy want to bid 55000 Is he willing to go 5000 over budget because he loves the horse? And then I may say to myself, well, do I want to go to 60 then? If I love him that much, I'll go to 60. He might then push to 70. Then I push to 80. Then he pushes to 90. Then at this point, it's no longer what we what he was a value on paper. It's who wants this horse more. Yes. And the people that have benefited from that is the owner of the horse that's selling it and the sales company that's putting the horse up for auction. Is there a commission? What's that commission? How much is that? 5% goes to the, 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 the auction, auction house. And 5% goes to the consigner who's actually the, you know the booth at the convention that's selling the horse that's actually putting the so there's 10 percent that goes to the operation of selling the, the operation horse. of selling the horse so when we got to evaluating junior joined me we went over 50 75 horses narrowed it down even further to uh, a top 10 we sent those top 10 to our medical team who did a full evaluation um and medical they kind actually like physically, physically engage the horse. ultrasound, check the heart, need be everything. And I heard that the secretary had a heart that was abnormal. He had a, for, they say he had a bigger heart, bigger heart, yeah, than most horses. But we, you we, never notice like horses. Does it factor into your decision if the horse has got this unusual large heart? It, that could be a deformity too, right? Could, be, um, could hurt them. Some people use that as a tool to. Um, to make decisions, I while there are people who subscribe to that and pay. Well, secretary was a case, <laughs> yeah, and they pay the fee for that. I don't. I just want to make sure it's a working heart that there's no problems with it and healthy that's, horse. That's, that's a healthy horse. Uh, there's other things that we kind of look forward to a little more. So, brother, we 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 narrowed it down even further after consulting with our with our medical team, our vet team on you know what horses were were. Um, in the optimal health condition for us to purchase. And we ranked, you know, like in the NFL combine, we had our Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay big board. This, yeah. this Colt, uh, Mage, was our number one pick Whew. in the draft. And what's funny is we had a budget in our minds of $200,000. And when we got into bidding, we actually ended up going $90,000 further than we had anticipated. And we purchased them for $290,000. So it's at that moment that I realized that in order to complete this transaction, because you 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 buy horses on credit, so uh, and we, we you know we're in good standing with the sales company after going through the credit application process. So you have a little window to start recruiting the syndication. The uh, yeah, you have, you have you have terms. It's like net net days. Yeah. You know, you and lose your deposit if you fail to to raise the money. Uh, no deposit. No deposit. No it's deposit. credibility. It's 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 a credit app. It's your horse. You bought the horse, but the horse can't run without his title, yeah. the, the papers. So, you know, you have to pay for the horse. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So um, That's very cool. That's a wonderful honor system, and well, it's based on years of years of years sure, of credibility. At, at the same time, like, what are you going to do? You just have a horse sitting in your house? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And uh, at, the, at the same time, they can't have, you can't hold on to the horse for X amount of time before it's repossessed from you either. You right. can't just sit on a horse for two years. Like, no. Like it's just not allowed. So we were... Um, 
we very quick and at the same time like you have to have the presence of mind and the, the responsibility to know where you stand here so it's not like you, you know it was a, some reckless decision you know i knew we have done this before sure we, you know the ability to create partnerships and bring in people to the to the group it's, it's, it's it was nothing new so we bought those for 290 uh, i made a couple phone calls and rather quickly we put together two other partners to come in and each take a proverbial leg you know 25 percent of the horse so sure two partners came in one of them is um, a real estate guy from here from south florida sam herzberg and then the other group is um he also has a, a knack for horses too or you know uh, just likes it he loves it he's he, he's an older gentleman in his 70s he's been in the business for a long time he's had success uh in his own right and uh he's someone that we've had uh we have had some great mutual friends in common over the years that put us together and i've known sam for over a decade so it was a very smooth and, 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 and easy conversation to have. I know Sam's been chasing the Derby dream for a long time. and Boys, he's got the dream now. Yeah, he's so happy. And then uh, I had met uh, Chase Chamberlain of uh, this company called Commonwealth. Uh, and, and then I met his partner on a Zoom call, Brian Dockstater. And Chase and Brian are pretty cool, man. They're, they're in their 30s. Uh, well, one's 30, one's 40. One's in his 30s, mid-30s. One's yeah, it's uh, probably 40. those pictures I saw you with them. And and Brian and Chase are, are pretty interesting. What they've done is um, they'll take their percentage and then they'll set aside uh, a percentage of their percentage, a smaller percentage of their percentage, and they actually micro-fraction out ownership for someone that can invest 50 bucks wow. into that is a micro- cool eyelash so ownership is um uh, they get they get a, per- a percent of the earnings as well well they get a percentage of what they own which in a three hundred thousand dollar horse and they pay fifty dollars <laughs> so know, cool it's a point <laughs> i mean let me get it yeah me, just enough to get your hairs to stand yeah. at kentucky derby let me, let me do the math here but you make a bucks. you make a lot of people very freaking happy. They own point zero 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 one six. You know, but there are a lot of passion. But they're on the turf. They see the roses, <laughs> bro. There, oh, there, there are certain restrictions that are given to the micro shareholders. You know, just because you do have to keep a sense of of uh, of, of things being organized and for the sake of um, just to keep things yeah, cohesive. streamlined and cohesive. You know, their 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 certain parts of their uh, ownership experience has to be restricted just because you have to maintain a level of organization. Yeah, here. certain decorum. But yeah. they babysit that whole group because they know it. Right, they're in charge of that group. Yes, right, they're in charge of the group. And and I've been very fortunate to meet some of those guys. And it's a lot of horse loving, uh, passionate. It's almost a built in fan base. You have four hundred people who are super fans. They're all praying and they're all rooting. They're all praying. That's they're power, all rooting man. positive energy into the universe, man, and, and, and they're they're rooting for the best for the horse. And you know, I, I I'm not a participant myself in that app, so you know, I don't want to get into like the technicalities. No, no, of, you gotta of, concentrate of on the things, horse. No, no, I'm saying uh, to explain like how the how their payout system works and yeah. how people earn. I, I'm not well versed in their system. What I needed from Chase and Brian was a fourth partner. They came through in the clutch. And so now it's going to be much easier. Now it's smooth sailing because now you've got this incredible uh, victory under your lap. I mean, you're going to be able to go out to even larger pools of investors. Um, we know you still want to try to keep things tight. You know, I'm not. Because you want to. Yeah, you want the chemistry. You want the chemistry and you want to be able to still retain 
um, a good, you know, sizable chunk of your of your um, your effort of your, of your effort. Now, what's been interesting is that you know, since the derby is the the attention that you have gotten from individual existing teams that have their own Mickey Harrison and and, and their own organization set up who want me to help them uh, select their horses for their roster. But then, that's a fee. That's a fee based situation for sure. It's like being a real estate agent. Wow. You know, hey, I, I want to buy a house in Coco Plum. Can you find me a home? You know, and you're just simply the broker. You're not the developer. You're not the interior decorator. You're not the landscaper. You're just simply filling their desire of finding them an amazing home in Key Biscayne, yes. whatever it may be. So that's where I've gotten probably the uh, the most attention in in this process since the Derby is individuals calling me to help them. Yeah, naturally. And that's been pretty cool. That's very, very, that's, cool. That's now, very cool. Now, when it comes to housing and breeding farms, uh, you can you feel comfortable uh, uh, in Florida or do you feel like you need to be in Kentucky or Arkansas or to actually be close to where the action is? Or it doesn't really matter because you're renting stables and it doesn't really... Well, for, it, for ourselves personally, I mean, there's race, at horse, there's race, there's a horse races across the country. So there's definitely a lot of places where you can... Uh, race, compete, board, and uh, breed your horses in. Um, I love to be based here in Miami because family's here. Uh, my friends are here. And at the same time, from December <coughs> to the end of April, uh, it's an electric city, not only as a societal destination, but horse racing, Gulfstream Park, it's the yes. championship meet. There's high-quality horses here, and our horses are competing here those months once uh, may comes around you know there's sales and the sales seasons begin uh they're all over the country and all over the united states and our horses leave to kentucky and they're based there so they stay in the stables of uh, the whereabouts in kentucky, right so now th- that's just like uh like a hotel stay you pay monthly or do you expect like for instance, no, my, no, it's a, it's a it, they are facilities that are specifically made for the intent and purposes of boarding racehorses and breeding them and all that. Uh, so those are set; they're kept separate. So there's, there's no love shacks for these horses. Yes, on the farms that are there for breeding purposes, there are facilities for that, and then for the racehorses, there's separate facilities for that. Yeah, because they have the tracks and you all. Know, that. You, you keep you keep those two things separate, but. Facilities exist for both aspects, 100%. Yes. Same with injuries and stuff like that. There's you? rehabilitation centers as well. So like every every kind of um, division of the industry will have locations where, you know, it's a, you know, a, a pay-to-board facility and where all the amenities and all the goods and services and everything that would apply to that particular aspect of our industry exist, 100%. For myself, the last, you know, six years, I spend about half the year on the road between domestic and international travel, going to races and sales. And, and how, how many horses you have in your inventory now? Or So there's two things that I do. There's the horses that I would, let's say, own a percentage of, and that would be just under a dozen. But then there's the horses that I've purchased 
that I'm more of like the GM, like Pat Riley for an existing Mickey Harrison, and that would be uh, just under fifty. So between fifty, yeah. So between that, Jeez, but that are owned that's by, a lot of personnel. But they're owned by sep- by separate people, you know. Yeah, well, you and have to manage all those people. Right? Well, and it, they're different states, or they're all in one stable, or no? No, I mean, look, different it, states. It, in the in the days of um, in these days of technology and 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 phone call and text, yeah, yeah, text and away, man. And, you know, being able to stay in touch is pretty is is pretty you know easy. I don't feed them. I don't train them. I don't take care of them. I don't do any of the hands-on stuff. There's dedicated staffs yes. that handle all those things. So it's just a, for a person in my position, it's not overwhelming at all. I'm actually just dealing with the people who do handle these horses on a day-to-day basis, relying on them to get feedback to me as to how the horses are doing. And then, of course, you know, several times throughout the year, I'll go personally and check in and be able to see with my own eyes, hand in hand with like Pat Riley and Spolstra, you yeah. know, hand in hand. Or kinda. if a trainer calls you, say, "Man, this this horse just had a time that you got to see to see if it does yeah, the like, time again." You go over there to see if they'll do the time. You're you're in touch with the, with the trainers, you know, on a weekly, if not daily basis. So you're always getting updates as to where things are, where things are progressing, or 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 if anything comes up that might not be of the most positive nature you know you really have to understand and i think if there's anybody listening has to understand these are 100 percent athletes from the day they're the, the thought process to breed them they're bred to be racehorses when they're born they're raised to be racehorses um when they enter in, when they're purchased and enter to start training they're being trained to be you know to bring out that genetic uh uh thought that was put in them from day one to be racehorses, yeah, it's in their toolkit. They're athletes. <clears throat> they're 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 performing. You're figuring out how good the athlete is, what level of ability the athlete is. You're taking care of their health, like an athlete. And athletes get injuries, and you need to be able to know how to manage those injuries. Who needs, you know, time to recover? Who might need surgery to fix? You know. So even- what's a yearly cost if there were like an average of per head? Sure. I mean. You can, for an owner, obviously the owner is in it to to win it. It's not so much the profit; it's more they love it. Oh, well, that's look, how our I, conversation started. I, I would say the it's a labor of love, and the passion helps you when there are challenges, and when there's not the greatest of news or 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 results. The passion and the love help you fight through those moments where you're willing to accept not the greatest of results or news and just move forward because life isn't, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Nothing is on this planet. I mean, yeah, yeah. Moving targets. So if, 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 you know, if your team, the heat go 12 and 65 on the year, you're still the owner of the team. You just have to say to yourself, what do I got to do to fix it? You know, when, when, um, you have to learn to ride the waves of ups and downs and of the good news and bad news. And, and, uh, you know, those who love it have a tolerance for when things aren't going great. You know, if not, you you know, what do you think? Mick yeah, Garrison, like the case Mick of Forte. Mick Garrison has a couple bad seasons. You think he's just going to give up on the heat? No, no. He, he he keeps on riding, you know, riding the wave. And, and for us, um, there are owners who come from some super successful Fortune 500 uber billionaires. And maybe for them, the expense 
uh, is a little easier to, to handle. For those who are more smaller private entities, mul you know, uh, multiple partnerships where expenses can get, you know, can be a little more costly, you know, maybe they run their, and, and this isn't a universal expression because even billionaires run their operations for the money. But I'm just simply stating that you operate, you're, you're stable though, you're conscious of expenses, you're conscious of, you know, bills, and you still want to run your, your, your organization professionally. So... And you know, waste. You can't have waste. Yeah. So, what would you say that number is? A hundred thousand a month? No, uh, no, 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 not not really, man. Uh, could be, you can be do it. You can do it for less. Way I'm just, less. I'm just throwing. Uh, I yeah, just yeah. threw that number out there. No, that's far from it. It's probably anywhere between forty to fifty thousand per horse a year. Oh, for the year? Yeah, for the year. That's very. That's very comforting to know. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more manageable. That's why you know, in the in the in Australia, where I would argue that Australia and Japan probably have the two strongest horse racing products in the world right now. Japan um, has a great product from A to Z. It's just challenging for an outsider from Japan to, to be a participant in the industry. But how they run their, their association, their horse racing association, is phenomenal. The public interest behind it, how busy the race days are, um, how much prize money they're running after... Japan is amazing. The only challenge is, as someone from the exterior, to come in and try to participate. There's a application process. Very few people are given the opportunity. They only want Japanese in there. They, they keep it in-house. Now, Australia runs it incredibly. It's more popular than the NBA or the NFL wow. is here. They, there's a statistic that, like, one out of every six Australians owns even a share in a racehorse. No it is the thing to do there. Uh, just uh, uh, people from all shapes and sizes, colors, class structures, uh, from the most beautiful people to the most uh, uh, just sports nut, um, people who love a great day at the races, even they're involved. Everyone that you can think of follows horse racing in Australia to such a an amazing degree. Wow, one out of six. They run for incredible per, uh prize money uh there's an amazing industry behind it and i would say australia and anyone can participate in it you can just show up there apply for a license and you're in um they're the way the, the, do a lot of americans head over there for well the challenge is obviously the distance it's still 26 hours away so you uh, know how you, you don't want a horse in a, in a plane for 26 hours it, the they also operate on a different hemisphere of age bracket like in america you only breed from uh, February fifteenth to June first, in in Southern Hemisphere, because they're in, they're in the Southern Hemisphere of the, of the world, they breed from July to to the end of uh, November. So now is that a cosmic thing, or is that the, what the horses prefer? Or no, it's just um, it's just that because of the um, the breeding, it's an eleven month gestation period, mm -hmm. and because of that, in the Southern Hemisphere, the winters. There are our summers, oh, yeah, and uh, our yes. winters here are their summers. Absolutely. So to so it's a weather thing. So it's a weather thing. So to maximize that eleven month, you know, period of of uh, not gestation, uh, eleven month. Uh, yeah, developing in the uterus. Is? Is yeah, the right gestation. Gestation yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, eleven month gestation period. Yeah, from embryo to fetus. Yeah. Sure. There, there is, is on opposite ends. So if you bring a horse from there to run here, he's actually ru running. Yeah, like right now people are skiing in Argentina. Right. <laughs> what would happen is that you would have to have a horse that's much younger in Australia to come here against the face against much older. Yeah. So he would be at a disadvantage. 
So you keep it separate. You have to keep those things separate. That, um, that, that is really, that is beyond cool. Yeah. Well, I, I got you for a full hour here, oh, man. Oh, wow. Time flies. I think it's fantastic that you've uh, taught our audience so much, and me as well. No, no. I can't thank you enough, man. Uh, the clarity that all that psychobabble stuff I had in my head my entire 58 years of life, I've, been, I've probably just started when <laughs> I was eight, uh, came to came full circle because of you, man. And uh, I just really happy that, you know, Blink Radio put me in this position, you know, a freaking radio station here on the key. And, man, I wish you all the best. And uh, I would love to stay in touch with you, man. Sooner or later, you know what's going to happen. I'm writing the check, man, because I want to go. I just, I got to complete it. I got to complete this, you know. And uh, I think that's the only way I can do it. And it's bizarre that when you're in my situation where you only have to have a sense of resources without having the resources, just a sense that certain things lead to other things, like you say, it, to, just to be able to know that I can call you and say, hey, man, you know what? I got 50 grand. Uh, yes? No? Can I? Can I? Please? What? I, I promise I, I, I won't eat all the corn in the stable. <laughs> because, uh, I, um, you know, I can't tell you. I can't tell you the gleam in my eye, and I can't tell you the water eyes I had knowing that a key rat won the freaking Kentucky Derby, man. So, Ramiro, man, all you are the dream that Walt Disney you come to America to dream the little dream. You came to America. You're born in America, and you dream the little dream. So thank you very much. And it, it uh, so so my son's also proud. He's also Kane. So you got another Kane here. It's, Kane's over here. It's the you you. Thank so you. God bless you, man. No, thank you so much for having me on. It's been cool, you know, talking a little bit about yeah, the man. And, it'd be, it'd be, it'd your be passion's really... awesome, and and I and I really admire that. Yeah, and now you gave me more. You gave me more reason to love it even more. Because the science of it, the business side of it, is fascinating, and you you're very articulate how you how you taught us to think about these things, and it's even more impressive. And uh, God bless you, man. Oh, keep on you. keep on kicking. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You. WSQF, Blink Radio, ninety four point five FM, where I blink once, I said it. Blink twice, yeah, I missed it. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.